Hey there, I'm Matty C. Well, Matt Carlson, if you're a little more formally inclined. Welcome to What Am I Making? I'm a musician, a writer, a designer, a podcaster, and sort of a, a jack of all trades, but master of none. This whole thing, this what am I making thing, really started out of a need for me to figure out what really mattered. I've gone through a ton of change in the last three years of my life, and a lot of it's been really awful and painful. I've dealt with grief and loss and disconnection and mental illness and all kinds of other hurdles. And along that way, a person like me with ADHD and depression and anxiety has a tendency to live inside their own head. And that's what I've been doing. And in my head, what I have done is I have diminished my own value and my own power. And I'm beginning to see that that was a huge mistake. And I've done it in different varying ways for most of my life. And in the process of, of losing somebody really special to me very suddenly, I also realized that we have a finite amount of time left on this planet. And while I've always known that logically, I don't know that I've ever lived it actually. And so that's really what this project is about. It's about me living a more deliberate version of myself. And part of that is having conversations about the things in my life and the things in our lives that really matter. And to me, that means art. And I don't mean just visual art. I don't just mean painting in a museum. I mean art in all its forms and the way that we communicate with each other. Frankly, it's the way we've always communicated with each other. It's the way that we share stories with each other. It's the way that we explain our humanity to ourselves and to each other. And that's what I'm here to explore because I think, I fear, we've reached a point at which we've taken the artwork in all its form around us and we've taken it for granted. We have just simply said, well, that's there for the taking anytime I want it. This wonderful world of technology and ease and convenience and being able to get what we want, when we want, for very little or no money at all is really a remarkable thing for consumers. It's not a bad thing in and of itself, but it comes at a price. It comes at a cost. And I think part of that cost is what it does to our society and our culture when we don't value the artwork that we use all day, every day the music that we don't pay attention to that's playing in a store or that's being uh, used to impact a scene from a movie, a TV show that you binged three times to get you through a really tough period after a breakup, where maybe all of that stuff that you watched while we were all locked in our houses during pandemic, they all, they all impact and influence our lives. They are the way that we talk to each other, the way that we understand the world around us. Are we engaging with it with the kind of impact and importance that it deserves? What are each of us doing in our lives? What are we making? There's a Gandhi quote that gets thrown around all the time that I love, but I don't think people necessarily see it in the right way. I know I didn't. The quote is, and I'm sure you've heard it, it's be the change in the world that you want to see. It seems overwhelming and it seems massive and it seems impossible. How do I be, how can I be the change? How can I impact 
an entire world as just one tiny little person. And the simple fact of the matter is you're already doing that. You're already changing the world every day with everything that you do. You've changed it every day that you've been on on this planet and sucking air, and you're going to change it tomorrow if you're fortunate enough to still be here. Because every decision that we make impacts the world around us. The way we spend money in our own communities, the things that we seek out, the things that we ask for, the things that we fight for. It's not just, did I show up in November and vote? It's not just, hey, I really like the bagel place down the street, and I went the week they opened, and that's enough. We're all dependent upon each other to have this culture and this civilization, and I feel like I haven't been deliberate enough. I haven't been specific enough and intentional enough in my life and looked at it the right way and seen the value that I can bring to the table, both as a person who's a member of a community, but as an artist and a writer and a musician and somebody who has a unique skill set and an interesting viewpoint. And I also have access to tons and tons of really smart, creative, and fascinating people. And I want to go on this journey with you, with them. I want to have conversations about what I think. Because it isn't about whether or not I'm right. There isn't a right answer or a wrong answer. It's are we building the kind of communities and the kind of culture and the kind of creativity and excitement and passion and openness for the world that we really want to foster. I think we are not living up to our potential in that regard. I know I certainly haven't been. And this podcast, this this project, this whole thing, this what am I making project over at Substack is really built around the idea that this is the, the best way that I can figure out to be that change. The best things in my life that have ever come to me that are not directly related by blood have all come because of my involvement in the arts. All of it. My best friends, the things in my life that matter, the moments that are most precious to me, the things that really give me life are all built around that, whether that's music or film, literature, photography, painting, sculpture, travel, architecture, whatever it is. I went on this remarkable trip to Morocco that I'm going to talk more in depth about in the near future, but um, my mother and I went to Morocco for 11 days together, and we went on this tour group, and we had this amazing, remarkable experience, and while, while I was there, what I saw were basic, average people who had enough money to spend some time on a vacation and to go to a place that is exotic and beautiful and different, and they, they paid whatever they paid to go. And they opened themselves up to this experience. But in talking to these people that we traveled with, many of whom were so wonderful and interesting and had fascinating stories, what I saw was I saw all of these people for these nine days that we were together open up to the world around them. They danced to local music. They got excited about local artwork. They got interested in people making rugs and textiles and bags and doing ancient work at a tannery. And that stuff is all incredible, and I'm so glad that they were open to it. But are we all living our lives that way on a regular basis, or are we just reserving that openness and that excitement and that change in perspective 
a week or two a year when we can afford to get away. I'm not suggesting that you uproot your life and that you just become an artist and you and your merry band of pranksters go around the world. What I am suggesting is that perhaps there is this whole world, this whole amazing universe of creativity, power, and communication out there that we are not really accessing in the right way. And I don't want you to think about this like, yeah, I got a couple shows I love. I sit down and I invest in those and I talk about it. That's awesome. What I'm talking about is, you know, what's happening? We're all sitting around and, you know, there's a $400 million blockbuster that's on. And occasionally the people in the living room might look up from their phone to actually see what's happening on the movie. Are we sitting down and listening to records or are we just putting something on in the car to distract us while we're driving and also talking on the phone and probably texting and looking for Facebook alerts all while reading 78 billboards and navigating traffic? I have been a person who basically has lived my life like it was a race to the finish line. I don't slow down. I don't stop. I do everything too quickly. I rush. I feel like there is an artificial deadline on top of everything I do. And it has made me an anxious person, and it has made me not feel comfortable and safe and calm and peaceful. And it's a shitty feeling. But I know that when I seek out art and when I have these kind of conversations with people, my heart rate slows down. And I get really excited about the world and I feel better. And the world becomes a more possible, open, and amazing place instead of the tiny little terrifying thing that it is inside my brain. So what I want to do is take all this stuff that I think about that's inside of my brain, and I want to start to figure out a way to talk about it. I don't know how to do that. I don't know exactly where to start, but I know that I have spent months thinking and planning and ruminating about the right delivery method, the right schedule, the right approach, the right topics, the right formats. And all of that stuff is going to come, and it's all going to be important. But none of it matters if I don't actually start doing the work. If I just have a table of contents and no book, that's pretty dumb. So what I want to do is I want to tell you what I'm trying to do, and then I'm going to start doing it, and hopefully we're going to learn a lot of stuff together. We're going to figure out that there's a right way and a wrong way to kind of approach this that seems to work for the amount of time that we can invest in it. The other thing that's really important for me to mention to you right off the top is this podcast is a part of our Substack, which is whatamimaking.substack.com. And right now, memberships are completely free, or you can purchase a paid membership, or if you're incredibly generous, you can even become a founding member for the year. Now, you don't have to pay anything to get this podcast or to access everything that's on the Substack right now. This is a new venture, and I want to make it open and available for as many people as possible. And I want to start to build a community, and I want to start to have these conversations, and I want to be able to sort of define my work in a really specific way so I can understand the best way to use my time and my talents on this project that not only help me learn a lot about myself, but also have some universal lessons that can be learned and viewed and and heard by others. But to do that, at some point, I'm going to have to ask for your help financially. And that's a really scary part of this thing for me. For a long time, I have thought, well, I'm lucky to do what I do. 
and so I should be happy to pay to do it. And that's completely understandable, and, and to a certain extent, I understand that that's how the field of art works. But what I did was I let that sort of economic reality also inform how I inherently thought of my work in terms of its intrinsic value, in terms of the quality and the importance and perhaps the longevity of the work that I am doing and have done for nearly 30 years. I, I guess I'm finally waking up to the fact that, that I have something to offer in some way that I think might be meaningful to a reasonably sized group of people, and I might be able to find a community that would be willing to support that. And I don't know what that support is going to look like or how much time I'm going to be able to devote to this, but I know that I'll never find out if I sit around and just run through possible permutations inside my little brain. So I want to start having these conversations. And I want to start having them now. And I would love for you to be a part of this adventure. If you'd like, you can go over to our Substack again. That address is whatamimaking.substack.com. And you can sign up for a free or a paid subscription. Now, if you haven't used Substack, it's pretty simple. It's basically just a, a blog. It, it almost looks like a social media site, but it's an independent little blog. And I'll post stuff there regularly. Lately, I've been posting, you know, something almost every day. That probably won't keep up. But I'll be posting a couple of times a week at least. And in addition to the things that I put up, like essays or polls or questionnaires or different um, written work, I will also be doing um, a, a really interesting project called um, uh, a mixtape for a future self, which I will talk about more uh, very, very soon. Um, and so there is an audio component to it. There is this podcast, obviously, and fairly soon, I'm also hoping to incorporate some video occasionally. Again, a lot of this is going to be determined by what is the conversation that we collectively want to have with each other and how does that steer where I, where I put, you know, where I sort of send this ship. And then after that, then the question becomes, what are the best ways for me to deliver that message? Is it podcasts? Is it written work? Is it, is it video? Is it something else? I, I don't know. I just know that if I get started, I'll figure it out a lot faster than if I try to run through the what-ifs. So here we are. So today's guest and my first ever guest on the What Am I Making podcast is a podcaster, a comedian, a writer, and a former host of CNN and uh, Sirius XM and a whole bunch of other really fancy accolades. Um, more importantly, he's a guy who I'm lucky enough to consider a friend, somebody who I've been fortunate enough to, to reach out to as I've been starting this project and thinking about it for so many months. And Pete gave me a bunch of great advice. Most specifically, what he said was, whatever you're going to do, just do it. And what he meant was just go and start having these conversations and the why and the what and the how in some ways will define themselves for you. Um, and so when I started to finally do that, when I finally started to just go, okay, let's have conversations, the first person I wanted to talk to was Pete. And Pete's got a great show. His, his podcast is on every day of the week, and he has on some of the smartest, most amazing, and frequently surprisingly hilarious guests um, around. It's, it's my favorite podcast, and the group of people who support it 
and, and that community have really become a group of friends and almost a sort of quasi family for me. I've developed friendships and uh, close relationships with a number of people in that community. And it, it, that was a big part of what gave me the power and the belief that I could do this was knowing those people and seeing that passion and that fire that's out there with people who care. And yeah, Pete hosts a show that is largely seen about politics. So he's going to talk to pundits and journalists and writers and experts, and he's going to seek out really interesting and thoughtful and informative conversations. And yeah, it's going to be about policies and, and public ideas and whether or not we are all doing things and pulling in the right direction. But at the end of the day, all of those conversations, like the ones we're going to have here about this idea of connection and purpose. And Pete's somebody who has sort of filtered some things for me in a way that I was able to accept them in a new way that I hadn't before. And one of them is maybe not immediately dismissing the idea of certain Eastern philosophies because they don't apply to me. So I love the idea of so many of the practices and teachings of some of the Eastern religions. And I'm really kind of fascinated and in love with the idea of meditation, but it scares me. And I'm a person who's never been able to quiet my brain down. And so I've always avoided it. And so in a way, I've always kind of dismissed the whole idea of that sort of approach to enlightenment or Zen as something that I just can't access or it's, it's not for me. You know, I've just sort of shut that wall you know, off. I've just, I've just decided that I don't get access to that because of the person that I think I am. And in talking to Pete, um, and in getting some of his emails that he sends out regularly to his viewers, there's a lot of wisdom that's come from different people. Specifically, recently, he had a wonderful quote from a, a, a Buddhist teacher and nun named Pema Chodron. And she has a book called Things Falling Apart. And there's a a wonderful quote that Pete sent out the other day, and it really touched me. And it was it was a thing I'd seen before, but it was such a vivid and stark reminder of how little control we actually have over our own lives. And so Pete has shown me the way on a lot of that stuff. And he's also given me, quite frankly, a really remarkable example to look at as somebody who, in 2019, when he lost his job as the host of a daily show on Sirius XM, and he was in sort of this whirlwind and and hurricane, I guess, of, you know, sort of grief for the loss of his job and this financial terror that was existing and feeling like he'd lost his platform and his voice. And he's told me, I don't remember if it's exactly in this interview or not, but he's told me before that he felt like he'd lost the best job he was ever going to have, that this was his dream job and he had lost it. And not long after, he began posting regular podcasts. And it started out as, you know, a couple of weeks, and then it blossomed into this amazing daily podcast thing called Stand Up With Pete. It's a, it's a really remarkable thing. He builds this whole media enterprise out of a little shed, just like me. And he's, he's one guy, but he's one guy who had some industry experience and a lot of network contacts and the ability to talk to a lot of people. And so he just said, screw it. I don't know how to do anything else. And he went and did it. And now because of that, because he isn't at a place like Sirius XM, he has this community. 
he's in a position where he can reach out to the people who are his audience and who are his employers in a way by supporting him and his cause financially and his work financially. And I'm just fascinated the way that he's built this thing, how he got here, and how, I guess in some way, how that helps inform what I'm trying to do, both in terms of sort of reevaluating my own worth and reinventing the work that I think is important and that I think is meaningful and in a way might be work that I can do that has a purpose in my life that also provides a way for me to make a living. And that's really the key. I don't want to make a living. I want to make a life. And that's at the core of what am I making? What kind of life are we creating? And so there wasn't really a better place to start for this podcast and for for my journey in terms of sharing with you how I got here than by talking to Pete Dominic, who is a friend and a mentor and somebody I really I've really grown to admire and uh and and just enjoy spending time with a great deal. Um I hope you enjoy our conversation. It's a little bit all over the place because as I said, this is the first one of these that I had. I had it uh, just a couple of days after the New Year, so there is some uh, sort of New Year's resolution chat. Don't let that throw you off. Um, And we'll kind of buzz through and we'll touch on some of the things that I've mentioned here and we'll spark some other ideas, but this is simply the first step in a very long journey of conversations, and I'm utterly thrilled and humbled that you are here. Now, here's my conversation with my friend and podcaster and stand-up comedian, Pete Dominic. Enjoy. Well, I am actually doing the thing where you set goals and you try to follow through on them. I normally I, m- I make fun of it or when people ask me, you know, do you what do you think of New Year's resolutions? I shed on them because I like I'm more original than that or something. But I like a communal experience and we're all, you know, the year changes for everybody unless I think maybe they don't do that in China or something. Yeah, I, and I like the idea of a, you know, I mean, obviously you have to have some obligatory obligatory point to kind of take stock of a period of time. And this is as good as, as any. Um, so you say you shit on it, which I, I tend to do as well, but I'm also, I think you and I are kind of in the same boat. And I think that, that at least for me, what, what I'm trying to do is opposed to say, I want to get to this thing. Uh, this time I'm trying more of an approach of daily practices that I think I can have more expectation of control over. Okay. That sounds like a good idea. I think I'm doing. In other words, instead of saying, I want to get in shape or lose X number of pounds or make this career change. I'm tired of like, I don't feel like I ever, I'm really bad about waiting for the payoff. And I give up and I get discouraged. So I'm wondering, I guess I'm trying to sort of re-engineer the way I look at this. And instead of saying, I want this end thing, if I sort of reverse engineer it and go, what if I did this every day? Would that lead me to something close to where I'm hoping to be? And then I guess what I'm saying is if I get up and I go, I'm supposed to do these five things every day and I do them or I do four of them one day and six of them another. If I get to the end and the result isn't what I was hoping for, I still did everything I told myself I would do. So the result isn't necessarily uh, 
I take it as a sort of a judgment. Like we get to the point and I don't do my thing. That's a failure. Instead of looking at it that way, I'm trying to look at it like, what if every day I get up and I make my bed and I do the dishes and I keep this space clean and I do, I know you do meditation, but what if I, what if I made, you know, a series of sort of like crucial things that I had to do every day that were a part of sort of putting steps in front of another on a journey. I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do that this year and stick with it because I don't think I'm going to have to wait for some payoff that may or may not show up. Yeah, I think that's probably smart. I don't know about, I don't really, I guess I don't really think about the end, the end goal so much as to be disappointed, you know, too specifically. It's like, Hey, I want to try to exercise. I want to try to, instead of saying, I want to lose 10 pounds by this month and then getting that threshold, thus allowing myself to be disappointed. I kind of just know, uh, I think each day, if it's a win or if it's a loss, and then I really try to start anew the next day and hope I don't slide for, for too many in a row on any of the the metrics that I'm measuring, but I will never do the dishes. I won't do the dishes. I'm not a dishes guy. So I'll tell you that right now. I'm not, I'm not actually allowed to do the dishes at my house. Yeah, I'm not either, but you suggested that that was one of your goals. I just, so. you know, I just, I was just sort of listing tasks I could think of at a moment's notice. So what, what kinds of things have you decided you want to dedicate yourself more to this year? Well, if I do my daily morning ritual, then everything else falls into place because it's pretty much outside of exercise and diet, everything. So if I meditate, I write and I read, I usually come up with ideas, discoveries, plans, uh, a to-do list and a certain emotional feeling about all of it that sets me up pretty good in, in that, in that day. So like the morning ritual is the thing I didn't do it today. Uh, I tried to sneak in little parts of it at times during the day, but I just had a, a really unusually busy day with a lot of interviews. And even though I got up early, I still didn't do it. And I felt, so I felt a little bit disappointed in myself, but Hey, I get to, I get another shot tomorrow, which is one of the cool things about life until you're dead. Yeah. And, uh, I, that's not a thing I have, I have been good at. I'm not good at the, I don't have the, the short memory of say the relief pitcher who comes in in the ninth inning and he blows it Tuesday, but Wednesday night he's back out there. Um, that's not a skill set that I possess and I haven't worked very hard on nurturing it. So, um, it's interesting to hear you say that, like you sort of see that as a gift. Short memory. What do you mean? Um, well, I'm a dude that overthinks everything. Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, I'm, a, I'm a person who, even if it goes well, I'm going to rehash it in my brain to, probably till I fall asleep. And that's not an exaggeration. So I'm not a person who gets up the next day and feels like, okay, today's a clean slate. It's, I've, I have let it in my life just kind of be a continuation of whatever happened before until somehow I can break that cycle. Huh, that's interesting. I I think that's what I do. I mean, it's not like it's literally hmm. everything is washed away, but it's it gets I get close to it. Like the things that really are 
very upsetting is, is if you're having a, a quarrel with someone that you love. That to me is the one that I end up losing sleep over and 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 thinking a lot about and have a hard time shaking that the next day, whether it be one of my daughters, my wife, my parents, my brother, people closest to me. If I'm having a quarrel, a problem, I can't believe I used quarrel twice, but I do think it's an appropriate word for what I'm trying to describe. Like it just doesn't go away that easily. There are other things as well, for sure. I worry about money and work pretty much every day, but I get a shot the next day. I get an opportunity to to try something different and the meditation and the reading and the writing just generate so many ideas as well as give me a pause and, and give me, you know, a lot of, I I think I come out of that with a lot of gratefulness for being alive and and, and for another, another day and trying to figure out that, you know, what's goes on today. Like I knew that you were on the agenda today. I knew that you, I was talking to you today. I was looking forward to, to wrapping my day up with this. Like, I like the idea of trying to uh, think about what I've got to be grateful for and take advantage of it and do a good job with it. And then if I screw it all up, getting another shot. I had like a really bad show over Christmas. I think I might've told you that over Thanksgiving rather. Oh yeah. Oh, it felt horrible. My, my wife was there. I was opening for Jay. I was a horrible audience. It was the night before Thanksgiving. Like all the conditions were bad, but like, it was a real stinker. I got really thrown and I felt real bad about that for several days until I realized that nobody really cared. Why do you think that is? Why do you, why do you think? um... Well, that was an ego thing. I was only, what do my daughters think about me? I want my daughters to think I'm a funny comedian. It was literally. So so in other words, the, the, the thing you fixated on was that you had this sort of unique opportunity to impress the people that you love most with a thing that you do that they don't always those are hard. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. So there's this this built in internal, internal pressure. And then it's not like, Oh, I didn't exercise tomorrow. I can still exercise today. It's like, yeah, it's a very exactly how acutely how you said it. You have a unique, unique opportunity and you squandered it or it just didn't go as well. I think that's a pretty, but I forgive. I think I have a lot of compassion for myself for that. I forgive myself for that. And there's so much behind it and so much, in front of it. And, you know, so I, I'm good with it now. And I I've gotten quite a few laughs since from both the girls. So good. Well, I'm glad that they haven't just given up on you completely. No, I mean, there's a difference Uh, between, you know, being on stage and doing stand up, and it's almost like Ava's like, dude, we know you're hilarious. Um, it's, it's funny. I was having this conversation with my youngest kid the other day because she's hysterical. And what I've started doing is I've gone, she has really good stuff and and like I'll riff with her a little bit and then I'll go, you need to go write that down. Yeah, sure. Go yeah, write I'll... it down. Like, and I'm making her like put it in her phone while I'm watching her. Yeah, yeah. For all creative people, no matter what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. And then, and then I'm like, well, she just thinks it's funny and then she doesn't, she doesn't do anything with it, which is fine. But I'm like, you've talked about like doing a TikTok or starting a YouTube channel or a podcast. Oh, just journal that shit. Like if it, do like... that shit. All those yeah, things but, that, you you know, there's a lot of things that are daunting. But when you have just an idea, like the best thing, I just riff on it. Just journal that, baby. Yeah. Journal it up. That's why I journal every, try to every day. It's a, a re- you have to re- write about the same sort of things um, every um, day. Like, do you just sit down and go, okay, here's what's in my head and you're looking to get it out or? It's usually that. It's okay. usually that. Although uh, I've been considering using some of Jill Filipovich's writing prompts. I subscribe to her Substack. She's 
just so great and yeah she's really really smart um when she first started a newsletter that i found on twitter i can't remember the name of it now and i just fell in love with it and like i just yeah she's one of the smartest young-ish women i I got in a category smart young white women i don't know i've got name a category a demographic i know we're not supposed to use them but i'll I'll, i will show my prowess by like naming the first smart person that that comes to mind well it's don't say any and don't say anything that's like hispanic or asian or chinese or japanese don't say anything from africa don't say anything from any of the south american countries or cultures because i've only got three lanes that i'll travel in so really, I know no one. Okay, moving on. So as long as we talk about white people who live on the East Coast and talk about progressive <laughs> politics. You're East Coast to- time zone people. East Coast time zone people only. Yes. Yeah. How do you think um, all of this stuff that, that like we kind of just started talking about kind of out of nowhere, which I think is a perfectly great introduction. How do you feel like where that is now has both been informed by you losing a corporate gig and starting your own thing and how much of it is a result of that? Oh, mm, boy. It's a thoughtful question. It deserves a thoughtful answer. I think that I've always been the same person since I was a little boy, really driven. Uh, A lot of confidence in myself in the end for some reason. At times undeserved, but at times deserved. I was, I think I was underestimated a lot. And I was tiny. I was a tiny little boy. Okay, so it was a Napoleon complex? I mean, that minimizes and marginalizes small people. <laughs> it, does. it does. You know, I mean, I don't think, I think I was, I'm trying to think if I heard someone, if I was listening to this conversation, I heard a guy say, a grown man say, dude, I was a tiny kid, like the smallest kid. I think that a lot of people, certainly men, would realize what that every a lot that comes with that it uh-huh. was tip, was typical of me. And I just I never gave up on anything or let that stand in my way. Was that and, was that one of the reasons you think you developed a really quick wit and a good sense of humor? Oh, it was the whole reason. Yeah, it was the it was it was my way of drawing attention to myself, and it was my way of establishing confidence in myself. It was my way of of endearing myself to other people. My way of getting people to like me, and it yeah. still is. Uh, you ditto, know. ditto for me. I was a I was a tiny kid. I was uh, short and scrawny and slow, and um, you know, especially at the the time that you and I grew up in the late seventies and early eighties, um, you know, athletics were everything, and if you yeah, yeah. If exactly. you weren't in that world and you didn't traffic in that world, you had less value just intrinsically. Now, uh, did you always have that face? Did I always have this face? No. Um, I've always had this very large head. I've always had what uh we in my family well, You're a good looking guy. No one you were probably you were probably like no one p- picked on you because of your your face. Like I even no. had like I mean, boys no. will pick on boys for every single thing, I should say. We, we the yes. truth is but yeah, so that was that was the thing for for me. And and when getting to the job situation, I, I was thinking about this recently in that I don't know how I really have been able to sustain it, accomplish what I've been able to accomplish and much less sustain it for as long as I have. I don't know how much longer I'll be able to. It seems like the kind of thing that will burn out. I, I don't know. I hope not because I want to do it the rest of my life and I really like it. But it's a matter of like, 
I didn't think I could accomplish this. I really just didn't think it was possible because the idea of hosting a show meant it, you needed a, a production team and a platform. But with technology today, all of that is there. And if you have my kind of work ethic and grit and determination, which I had, I just didn't think it was possible to do, but also my network of people and and my the reputation that I built over a 20-year career in national media, it's you got a small shot. And I've taken that shot. I did not believe I would make that shot, much less make it month after month. And who knows what the future holds. But so far, this was the first thing in my life I didn't think I would be able to really accomplish, much less sustain. And up till now, I have. So who knows? I I will tell you that, um, and I've told you this this both uh, privately and and on the Hangouts. Um, but I think the most impressive thing I have seen you do in the we're we're what basically three years. It was three years in November. Pete, is that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So so we're at the we're at the essentially three year mark, and I think the most remarkable thing I have seen you do is to lean into the fact that this is not corporate media and that what you have done is said this is the thing i think i have the most value that i can bring to the world having these conversations knowing these people being around these topics and being able to sort of access them for people and and disseminate them in a way that makes people feel more informed but it also makes people feel more connected mm. i think what's amazing about that is you took the power of that and you said this is what I want to do. I think it has value. And you did the hardest thing in the world. And it's what I'm trying to learn how to do right now, which is you said, can you give me a little bit of money and, and basically tell me with your dollars a little bit of time in a month that this thing has a value in your life. And that's a, yeah, yeah. It's a super vulnerable thing to do. Because as much as we want to bitch about corporate media, there's no, there's not the same emotional stake. You go to a job at Sirius XM and it goes great or it doesn't, but it's a job. What you're doing isn't, isn't a job. It's your life. It's you. You're yes. 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 To a certain extent it is. But like, I think that uh, in my situation, it's the thing, as you said, that's the thing that I have that is a value to other people, at least monetary value. It's the 20 years of network and skill and, and, and whatever I bring is, is that worth it? And I think that, that there's other things that I have that it would be really valuable, but I, I wouldn't necessarily be able to monetize, you know, I'd love to work with kids. I'd love to, you know, maybe join the Peace Corps for real, like, and go somewhere, but, you know, I've got kids of my own, so I'm, I'm going to hang out for at least a few but more years, but but, but the also, idea of asking I mean, people for money, it's different when you're independent versus when you're corporate because it's a given that you know they're subscribing and you're just working for the man and you're asking for the man. In this case, you're asking, in my case, like directly for me, I'm like all of the dollars and the pennies of each dollar, they all go directly to me. And if so, if you like, you know, what I've been doing for my career, what I'm doing every day and and, and having input into it, then let's go and let's try to do this together. It's, but it's, it's only because I had 20 years of corporate media that it makes it a value to anybody, which is totally fine and understandable. Well, no, it's it, the only reason that it's not the only reason that it has value 
it's the reason that the vast majority of people in the world are aware. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Same. Same. And the value that you present. One of the that's enough people. That's a lot of people. It's enough people. I would say people who are trying to build it from kind of scratch. Yeah. You know, it's just it's it's a whole different thing. And I had one shot to take what the the platform of SiriusXM, in addition to a whole bunch of other corporate media platforms that I worked at, you know, CNN, especially and MSNBC, uh, and and turn it into something. And I just like have barely have been able to do it. And it's really hard to grow and really hard to sustain for sure. Um, well, and and uh, it's really hard when and you and I've talked about this a lot as we've tried to kind of build out some volunteer help with the street team. Um, one of the things that's really hard to do is to do all of that yourself to corral it, to have all the ideas, to have a day where you don't have ambition or time or health. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's really, so then you have to basically go, I, I not only want your dollars if you can give them, but if you don't have money or if you also have time, can you give me some of that? What I think is remarkable is that I thought that was a more difficult question than it was going to be, than it wound up being. I have, I have found it so much easier to ask people to help uh, than I have ever, like in 50 years on this planet, ever let myself believe. Yeah, that's, that's another thing that I think a lot of people have a hard time do, uh, to doing and a lot of men do. I remember when I first lost my corporate gig, I reached out to everybody and I was real desperate. And one of the first people I talked to was a guy who, while we weren't close, we were close enough. I knew him pretty well. I'd worked with him. His name is Tom Shadiak, and he's a film director and he's a, a, a writer and a document. It's just an amazing guy. He's had an amazing career. He directed a bunch of Jim Carrey's films and he went through this crazy transformation and, and wrote a, because he injured himself and gave away all his money and wrote a book. And I reached out to him and I was basically telling him I'd, I didn't know what to do. It was, I didn't I, I didn't think I believed in myself for the first time. And I was just stuck, really stuck. And he said, have you asked, you know, much for help? I'm like, I'm doing it now, but it's it's something I'm used to giving other people help and mentoring other people. That's what I've been doing for years and years now because I've been doing so well. And I go, but I, you know, that's hard to do. And he said, how did it make you feel when you would help people. I said, oh, it felt great. I mean, I love being able to help people. And he goes, well, then why are you taking that same experience, that same feeling from me and from others? I'd love to be able to help you, Pete. And then I, it was like, he explained it that way. And it was, it was crystallized for me. And I, I haven't really shied away from asking since then. Good for you. I think that's a, I think that's a super important lesson. You were talking about, you know, wanting to do more and work with kids. One of the, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the things I'm trying to also find a way to focus on whether I can monetize it or not, isn't a priority. But um, I think that's the kind of message that we don't deliver to young people that I think we're missing. And I don't know how we do that, but I just, I feel like that's a beautiful lesson. I'm really glad. Asking for help. Not only that, but telling people like, yeah, when you help other people, it feels good. We tell you to help other people because it, it not only rewards them, it rewards you. But then we don't teach them to do that for themselves. Yeah. We don't I think the way that he said it to me, though, is really, you know, just connected me. He's like, why are you taking that opportunity? Yeah, why would you me? deprive like, me of that? Of that. I was like, wait, you can. I was like, you can help me. Let's go. 
Yeah. He's like, and then I asked him, I was like, well, what, sh- what should I do? And he's like, I've got nothing. <laughs> I want to help Pete. It's not that I don't want to help. It's that I, it's that I can't. Um, busy. How do you, how do you think, um, you said you wanted to do this for the rest of your life, which makes me happy, uh, as a listener and as your friend, but what do you, what do you think is behind that? I, I guess part of my whole journey here, and that's, that's, this is really starting here. This is the beginning. My whole thing is to figure out how do I do some of this for myself and why do other people do it? And what does that say about us? So my question is, why do you want to do it for the rest of your life? What, what compels you to want to have these conversations and share it and build this community? I mean, you're, if you're going to dedicate your life and people are going to ask, you're going to ask people for money to support it. Yeah. You know, and we all think that's important. What, what's at the root of it for you? Well, I have no problem asking people for money if, if the work I'm doing is good. No, and no, no. I, I don't, work, I don't mean I think, that, but I mean, like, you found a way to do your yeah. thing, and at least right now, to make a living off of asking people to help you with that financially in a very symbiotic relationship. What I'm saying is, before any of that begins, you're saying, I want to find a way to make that work moving forward for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Why is it this work? What is it about this work that speaks to you that you think you're not only well-suited to do, which we covered, but that you think it's important that you keep doing it moving forward? Well, it's a good job. Sure, of course. It's really, it's really satisfying, rewarding, and challenging, which are the three pieces of criteria that I've always thought about how I want my my work life, my money job to be. But, you know, I, I don't I, I think about life a little bit more comprehensively than than just where my revenue sources are going to be, even though I think you have to be responsible. I mean, I wish that wasn't the case. But, uh, and if I could design the system, it would be a different system. But I'm a communist. No, yes. I don't know. What, I, I don't know what I am. But I, I just think that I just know that the system that we're in is unfair and broken for for most people. And so yes. so I'm in it. And so I've got to make money. I want my kids to be able to have a, a, a pretty decent shot at it. And and so this is the work that I'm best suited for to be able to make the kind of money that I need to make at least for a certain amount of time. You know, but I, I there's just so much uncertainty in life and in my life and career. I've had so many opportunities that I, I never imagined much less counted on. And so I think that'll probably continue to happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it will continue to evolve, but the, the idea of being able to talk to super smart people that have spent a, a lifetime or a lot of time thinking about what we're talking about on the podcast is enriches my life. I, and the idea, it also enriches other people's lives. And so I, I love that. And the community aspect that I'm bringing to it is something I didn't count on and something that, as you know, is really very organic and absolutely wonderful. So there's a, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And, and what's, what's fascinating to me is because you know, for, for you, obviously, and for me as well, this is really the first time I've kind of jumped into something like this, where I've sort of joined a community of people that I didn't have any physical or real connection to, except for some virtual thing, which in this case was your show. And then you and I started talking and it became this thing where I got very involved with this wonderful, amazing group of people. And now I'm seeing my kids do that with, you know, YouTubers and people they follow on Patreon and on Discord. 
And what I am really focused on is I want to I want to go out and I want to find those people and talk about the communities that they're building and find out how we start stitching them together. Hmm. That's the shit that I'm really fascinated. So there's an illustrator somewhere on the West Coast, let's say, that my kids are super into. There's some cultural overlap between that and new music for olds and what I'm trying to do and what you do and a whole bunch of other shit in between. What I'm starting to, to really try to do is to start to have conversations with people in all of those areas so that I can start to figure out what kind of communities are people creating on their own? What's, what's helping them? What's hurting them? How do we, how do we get those communities to talk to each other once they're vibrant and see what they share? It's an interesting objective. You know, all these virtual communities that have, that have been created of real people communicating generally virtually and sometimes in person are as some, to some extent an outgrowth obviously of COVID and people just not wanting to be around a lot of other people, much less travel, which, you know, can get you sick and as well as aging and technology, you know, and, Um, and and I don't know what it's like in other places, but I know that more and more um, what's the term is it, is it called third space? There's work home and then there's third space, you know, basically like, there are not as many sort of public spaces that don't require, a, you know, uh, a financial contribution, you know? So for example, a coffee shop is a public space and a third space, but like, it's not, it's not sustainable. You're not going to be there for four hours. You might be there for right, 30, right. 30 minutes. And so, you know, we, we've seen those things dwindle, um, things like civic engagement and like, you know, you know, charity groups and nonprofits and churches is dropping that kind of stuff. And I wonder yeah, as, maybe, as we turn in as we turn into robots ourselves, yeah. we we are I, finding new ways. I watched I watched Wally with my daughter and her friend oh. on New Year's Eve, and uh, was there absolutely holy shit? That thing was dead on. Was nothing else available to watch? Did you only have one choice? We just uh, no. You, we watched. Did we you had, have no? Did you just have no interconnect internet connection? A DVD player and uh, one. We had, a, DVD? we had a hamster and a laser disc player. No, Wally. And we watched Wally. I don't think I ever saw that. Really Sorry. Uh, it's you, You'd like it, Pete. It's a, it's a film about how um, 700 years in the future, uh, humans have uh, basically turned the earth into a trash pit. Oh. And, we have, and we have robots out uh, cleaning up the trash and once in a while checking for life. Oh. Yeah, it's quite good. Hmm. Yeah. I'm looking into it right now. Wally. Yeah, yeah. Wally. It's a Pixar film. It's excellent. Yeah. Oh, from 2008. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about how, how you use the shed as your space. What's that like? I mean, I mean, you, you basically built this in a weekend. Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't say a weekend. It was a slow build over. Okay. No, it was over a month, probably that it, okay. it, it, it right. eventually got done. But longtime listener, Nick DiFabrizio, who was like a high powered corporate lawyer, as well as like a blue collar guy as, as can be from Jersey with a certain set of skills around the saw, he can do anything. He helped me out a lot as did a couple of other listeners. And it was a very satisfying experience, you know, as a kind of working in the shed outside my house made tremendous sense. I used to be in a studio that Sirius built me in, in my house, in my garage. And I had to get out of there. It was too small. There were no windows. It was unbearable in the summer. There was no air conditioning. So I just, I absolutely had to get out of there. And uh, so 
this I may I was able to make this work. The the biggest challenge, believe it or not, is like internet. Because if your shed is like a few hundred feet from your house, it's hard to get that signal, and so yeah. you get to drop, you get to use a hard line, and that was literally one of the harder things to do. Insulating it, electricity how far, is already. How far out? How far out from the house are you? It's probably uh, 250 feet. It's about oh. a 250 foot Ethernet okay. cable that I dragged from the house. That is now, you know, I got to hand it to whoever inter- introduced or invented this Ethernet cable. It's pretty standard. It's just, but it is made it through three New York State winters and summers. I mean, it's it's just in the ground. It's just lying on the ground. Yeah, yeah. So is your so is your electrical, not to the shed because it's all solar powered, but uh, but yeah. I feel like there they must be in a there must be in a conduit to protect them more, but like yeah, they are. The electric is this this thing is just a freaking cable, Maddie, just lying on the ground. I know, I know. I've got a cable, and it works. Uh, we can't we can't publish this part of it, otherwise the zoning department in uh, Grand Lodge is going to get me. But I have a cable that runs underground just from my the outside of my house that I dug when I went out here, and now that's only. Well, I don't know why you'd say that. Feet. You know, I'm going to turn you in. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's fine. So I love being in here. I, I, you know, it's my, it's really uh, just a great private space surrounded by nature, which was leaving corporate media and doing independent, independent media. It, I wanted there to this, everything about the lifestyle to go with it. All of the trappings or lack of thereof corporate media, you know, working from home, I wanted to make it the best I could. And and I do. And I constantly update the space and clean it and, and make it better and more efficient in every possible way that I can. And I've got like a bed out here. I, I meditate out here often. I ride out here while looking out into the woods. So it's very much about nature and very much, you know, my space. Michael Pollan wrote a book about his writing shed. And so what it does to the creativity of whatever project you're working on, whether it be music or poetry or writing or, or anything else, I think there's value, a great value to your space. It certainly has been for me. I mean, I'm sure everybody's different, but for me, the idea of being windows on either side, looking out at my gardens, looking at my house, looking at my family during the summer when they're out there, it's, it's just, this is it for me. This is what, exactly what I wanted. I would like a little bit more space. My neck shed. Oh, oh. Let but me this tell is you, not the, this is not the shed on wheels I've heard tell about. Well, I, uh, I, I think that maybe I'll have a shed on wheels. Maybe I will. But the, I had like this idea of a lot of glass in my future, like a glass wall. Like, looking uh, at like the Philip Johnson house in Connecticut. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically the whole thing, the outside of it, the entire thing is just glass. It's very fancy. I like glass. I like, I, I uh, think sunlight and light in general is, it makes me happy. I mean, anybody, it makes you feel, I once lived in an apartment in New York city with no natural light Oh God! and it really destroyed my soul. And then Boy, working, that. like I said, in the garage where I used to work in that studio, even at Sirius XM, there was a huge aspect of being on the 37th floor in midtown Manhattan. Yeah. And you're sealed into that building, you know, I mean, you, sure. you can't, I couldn't see out a window. We had a beautiful view out of our office, but it was of all cement city. It was all humans. It was all, it just always gave me a little bit of running angst to look out and see so much human activity. Well, and and, doesn't that, I mean, doesn't that sort of dovetail really nicely? I mean, one of the things that obviously you freaked out about when you, when you lost your gig at, at Sirius was that all that security is gone. Yeah. But there's a lot of other bullshit that's gone too. How much oh, no time, doubt. How much time were you spending in the car every day? Yeah, the commute, commute is, and out of the city. 
No, I mean, I, I've always thought that a commute was a huge part of whatever agreement I was making with my employer, with my work. When I was a personal trainer at the gym on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, I insisted on living very close, meaning if I had an hour or two in between sessions, I could get to my apartment and back. To me, that was everything. I always wanted to be efficient with my time and being sitting in a car, you can do it easier in public transportation, which I didn't really have that option. But being in a car, you have to always be alert. It was dangerous every day uh, with the weather. Worse than, obviously, in the winter, it was, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't get that much done. I listened to podcasts. I tried to learn new things. I tried to get my thoughts in order, but my body got destroyed. Uh, for those, I think, 12 years that I was yeah. commuting every, almost also, every day. And, it's also incredibly expensive. Yeah, but it, but I mean, you're making so much more money you, that that wager but is a, worth but a, it. Right. But again, you but. can't look at it and go, I made X and not figure that in. And I think a lot of people do that. Yeah, and no, so, I mean, I, I think it's been a pretty good job of figuring it in, but you you couldn't, that commute is not something to figure in. It doesn't matter if you're making $10 million. If you're right. sitting stationary in a, in a car seat behind a steering wheel, for me, you know, other people like it for any number of reasons, but I, it really was unhealthy for me physically and emotionally and in terms of being with my kids and my family, doing the things I want to do. That was two hours at least each day of my life you know, at least four days a week, because one day I usually would would find a way to work from home. I, and then, of course, the pandemic happens and every single Sirius XM host and every other host is working from home in their home studio. That was my dream. But but, you know, that's now I have that time and I'm right. much healthier, much, right. much and healthier. As, and as you've said, uh, as you and I've talked about privately, that is wealth. Having that time, having that access to your family, mm-hmm. having that freedom over your schedule, that that that's wealth. I don't see any other way of looking at that, actually. I just don't. I, I think I don't there's just kind of one definition to me, and it's it's pretty it's pretty much that. Yeah. Um, but I but but you mentioned earlier that we live in a society that's broken for most people. That's a huge part of it. It isn't just the rules of of money ruling everything, and if you if you have it, it's much easier than if you don't. It's this idea that yeah, we're 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 gonna pay you for the time that you're working but we're not going to acknowledge the hours that it takes for you to be here or the cost that that might have. And I don't, I just, I just don't think we as a, again, it's a little bit like telling kids it's okay to ask for help and really explaining it to them. Like, like Tom Shadiak did, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're looking at something. We're just accepting. We're just accepting that we're willing to do those things because everybody else does it. And I guess I've gotten to a point where I'm just going to keep like, I'm the old man now and I'm just going to keep going. Why are we doing that? This doesn't make any sense to me. Everybody hates it. Why are we doing that? Yeah. It doesn't, it's fucking stupid. So for me, that's, that's just a tiny, you know, that's just a tiny example of this journey of sort of saying, how do, how do I, in the words of Thoreau, just live more deliberately? Well, I'm reading, I'm reading uh, Walden. Is it Walden? It's Walden. I'm reading that now and it's transformative. Someone said everybody should read that book or some of those. Everybody should read that book. And then everybody should also understand that he was a lonely crank. And there are a lot. Yeah, of, yeah, no doubt. There are lots no. of people out there who know who know a shit ton. Well, yeah. you know, very well, much. No, Ted, I mean, Ted, Ted, Kaczynski, me. Ted Kaczynski had some good ideas, but sure. I'm, I'm living one of them I'm in a shed. In and I, I, I think, yeah, I think there's, I think you should never stop trying to reevaluate 
life and and the life that you're living and and try to find ways to find joy and be grateful for it and alleviate and navigate your suffering and understand that there's going to be a lot of that, especially as we get older, which is why it's like if if you do a job that requires you to also be physically in a certain position, whether it be driving a bus every day for 30 years or picking fruit every day for one summer, much less, right. you know, season after season or working as a hotel, you know, doing something manual labor in in challenging weather conditions, you're you're even if you love that work and a lot of people do, your body is still in a lot of danger and, and breaking down and deteriorating like every you know, this isn't even that you wouldn't think of this as on the list, but working at CNN every day, I'd work with different camera guys. There's like 28 something, several women, and they all had similar physical issues with their shoulders and their knees because sure. the camera is so heavy and they've been carrying it for so many years. And even a job like that. So you're not, you're not valued the way that an executive is. And right. And you took completely different paths likely in, in your life for any number of different reasons. You didn't want to be an executive. It's not like that's a weird goal. But the point is your body breaking down at a younger age is also kind of a loss of, of, of wealth. And if, if it's as if as a product Especially of if the you know, primary way that you're going to generate income in the short term is to do something physical. Yeah, you know, it's so I mean, there's all kinds of wagers that we make and different people make for different reasons. But obviously, the, the systems are not generally fair, certainly in America, less so than, say, Canada or Western Europe. I mean, it's yeah. It's I mean, we, I mean, I mean, that's the other thing we're 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 sort of taking advantage of these people and we're sort of working them to the bone and then we're doing all of these other things. And and we as a society have said, yeah, I guess that's the, the bargain we're willing to accept. Um, but we're not we're not really. We're not doing anything to fundamentally ask why we're accepting it. Well, I don't know that. I don't. I don't know if that's true. I don't think that we as a society are willing to accept it. I think that. I. I, I think I know you that you don't mean quite that because what I'm saying is that there are amazing activists that I've worked in or around and call myself one to create positive change that oh, help us get universal or get you know uh, healthcare reform, which was so massive and. And I couldn't be independent working here without Obamacare and so not could so many other people. So we we try to make systems better. And there are so many amazing people working on that, you know, each and every day and all these different kinds of organizations. And I like to be a part of those movements as much as I can, if if not be a part of them, cover them, give them light, because I, I think that gives people a lot of purpose to make wherever you live better than than it is today, especially exactly. People- and and again, that goes back to that idea of sort of like, you know, acting with intention, living deliberately and being involved in these communities. So I had this lovely day um, a, a few days before Christmas. I went uh, to three neighborhoods in Lansing and I did all of my stocking stuffers in one day. And I bought all kinds of great stuff from local people. And I had these amazing conversations. And I realized that the best that the best thing that I had done was I had left my house and started talking to people in town. That's great. Yeah, I don't do that very much. And I and I don't do that as much as I used to. And I certainly don't do it as much as I should. And the thing I kept saying to people when they would say thank you or we really appreciate your support is I would just say, if you want nice shit in your town, you got to spend some money on it. And so for me. I think I think for me, what this is about is you've got to make if if these kinds of things are important to you and they are 
super important to me and they're super important to you. You've got to be willing to invest. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not talent. Maybe it's time. I don't know. But you can't just expect it to be there and then be sad when it goes away if you don't do anything to foster it. Yeah, I think you I think you have to work every day in some little way to try to make the world, your world, your community. A, so, a how, bit so what I want to know is how do I go out and find these other people and, and, and do what you're doing in a way where I can find those communities and I can start having those conversations. Well, I mean, if it, it, I don't, I, I don't know exactly how to, I mean, I I would just find those communities and contact their organizers and be that's like, that's what I'm saying. And that's why I want to do. That's why I started here. You gave me some great advice a few months ago and you said, record some chats and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you can um, just keep recording chats. See whoever. Yeah. I mean, that's all I'm doing. I'm like, Hey, will you talk to me? Yeah. Um, And I love it because, because I love it. I love it for the same reason that I love listening to your show, which is um, I, I have an undying curiosity about so much stuff. Yeah. 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 I think. and those are the people I want to spend time with. Those are the kinds of people I want in my life. Those are the people kinds of those are the kinds of people I want in my community. Yeah, if you Both get the feeling areas. when you walk in a library or a bookstore, if they still exist in your town, city, state, yeah, that that I get, then you'll like the show that I do. I've always liked to think that because I I love the idea of learning new things from people, and 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 thoughts on what's happening in the world and in our lives, kind of as we're talking, getting different perspectives. I love that. I love the opportunity to get to do that and then get all their books and surround myself with them. Yeah. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, you get to talk to, I mean, you're incredibly lucky in that you get to talk to people four or five times a week. You know, you get to, you get to have what, eight, 10 conversations a week. Yeah. That's yeah. I wonder about that. I, 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 not that do I wonder if I'm lucky. I'm like, does this replace normal socialization and i'm like well we shouldn't really name it you should socialize as much or as little as you want with the type of people that you want and that should be it i mean the healthy amount of socialization i don't know what that is the type i'm not sure what that is but for me i do get you know i have a i get to have these great conversations all week and then i kind of like to shut down for a couple of days too and 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 not talk to as many people but i also have more friends than i've ever had in my life as a result of the show and so i talk to i tend to talk to and communicate with a lot of people in all different kinds of ways and it doesn't you know we don't get together every friday night at at the pool hall at the bar or on the golf course or anything like that but who cares like i feel like the real important part of socializing is socializing, talking, not necessarily the activity, although certainly it helps to have an activity, especially for dudes to hang out. But I mean, I just, I think it's enough and I think it's healthy what I'm doing. I'm certainly really engaged in a lot of different people's lives and, and they are in, in, in mine and we're all learning together, including, you know, my, my family and my friends who have nothing to do with, with the show. It's a lot of different contributions and and it's not it's not hard because you know technology makes it a lot easier and then i like to shut it down and go into the woods yeah um i think what's really interesting about what you're talking about there especially when you talk about like your family and and friends outs and you know your kids um and people outside the the community of the show um i think what's really interesting about that is i've had the opportunity to meet a number of people in this community 
there's not a single one of them that this is the only place like this in their lives. Mm. They've all got, they've all got active families they're fostering. They've all got, they've all got other things they're doing, whether that's athletic endeavors or their own creative pursuits or their career or whatever. But like, that's what happens when you go out and you talk to curious people, they're all out doing stuff and they, and they kind of push you in weird ways you don't expect. And they, teach, the time. You things, they teach you things you, you never would have known oh, you needed to know. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And, and things you weren't expecting to ever, yeah. ever hear so you about. You wind up hearing stories and perspectives that you didn't even know existed, let alone that yeah. you needed to know what they were. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for that, I thank you because it's, I mean, that's, to me, that's the importance of the work you do. And that's the importance of the work that I think I'm trying to do, that I'm sort of figuring out. Yeah. Well, and I'm excited I about figuring it out and I'm, I'm glad to be at a point where I've stopped hemming and hawing and trying to figure out what the rules might be instead of just doing it. Yeah. Just throw the paint up on the canvas, pal. Yeah, man. Thanks for talking to me. Of course. Thank you for everything that you've done for me and being a part of my life. And yeah. Hey, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get the Michigan. Well, there he goes. That's my friend, Pete Dominic. I want to thank him so much for joining the show. I thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for starting this journey with me. Again, please make sure you are subscribed over on Substack. One more time, that web address is whatamimaking.substack.com. Signed up for a free subscription or perhaps a paid subscription if you really are enjoying what we're doing here. Thank you again for being here. I'm still not sure exactly how frequently we're going to be putting these out, but I would expect no less than one every other week. And uh, we will see you as we continue this journey along over at Substack. Thanks again for being here. Thanks again to Pete Dominic. Have a good one. Hey, 